Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you. I missed you all last week. But I want to say before we get into the message this morning, how much I appreciated Mike and Steve and Nicole uh, stepping up and sharing uh, in my stead while, while I was away. Um, if you have not had the chance to be here to hear those messages, I would encourage you to go out there on our website and to listen to Mike's message, to Steve's message, and to Nicole's message. I have already listened to all three, and all three are really, really good. And they will bless you uh, very, very much. Today we are continuing our series in the book of Isaiah. And so if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. There are a few times in Scripture where God peels back the layer, if you will, between us and heaven, and he allows us to get a glimpse into heaven. And that is certainly the case in this passage of Scripture. So I want to invite you to join me this morning as the curtain, if you will, is being opened up and God is saying to all of us, come into my throne room for a few moments. And I hope that you will put yourself as much as you possibly can in the scene that we are going to be looking at this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the sovereign master seated upon a high and elevated throne. The hem of his robe filled the entire temple. Seraphs were standing over him. Each one of them had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord who commands armies. His majestic splendor fills the entire earth. The sound of their voices shook the door frames, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah said, too bad for me. I'm destroyed. My lips are contaminated by sin. And I live among a people whose lips are contaminated by sin. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord who commands armies. But then one of the seraphs flew toward me. In his hand was a hot coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said to me, this coal has touched your lips. 
Your evil is removed and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the sovereign master say, Whom shall I send? Who will go on our behalf? And I, Isaiah, answered, Here I am. Send me. The book of Isaiah is all about where do God's people stand in a world of shifting sand, in a world that is forever changing. Where is our stability? Where is our security, our surety, our settledness, our strength? Where do we find that in a world that is shifting sand? That's the message of Isaiah. The key verse, I think, in the book is Isaiah 12, 2, where Isaiah says, look, God is my deliverer. I will put my trust in him and not fear. What does Isaiah 6, the, the call of Isaiah to this service that God has for him, how does this fit in with the idea of finding our stability and our security and our surety and our strength and all of that in God. Well, go back to verse 1. King Uzziah had died. King Uzziah had been on the throne in Judah for over 50 years. The people of Judah were sort of getting used to Uzziah. And he had given them a good life. For the most part, he was a good king. And they began to find over the years their stability and security and surety in him. So you can imagine when he died that the hopes of many people in Judah were dashed. What are we going to do? Uzziah's died. How are we going to navigate? Who are we going to look to? Before we go any further, let's make this real practical for us. Who in your life would be the person that you could least afford to lose? Who would be that one person that if they died or God took them or something, that your stability, your security, your surety would be rocked? That's how the people of Judah felt. The one person that they felt they could least afford to lose now is gone. Because even in that circumstance, God is reminding us that it's not necessarily wrong to find any stability or security or surety in other people. But let's face it, people change, relationships change, and we're all at some point or another going to pass from this life to another. And we're not always going to be there for one another. 
So if our ultimate stability and security and surety and strength and settledness is in some other human being or something of this earth, then we've put our stability and security and all of that in the wrong place. Because God is saying to his people here that I'm the only one that does not change. I'm the only one that no matter who comes and goes out of your life and what comes and goes out of your life, I'm the one constant. I'm the one that if you put your ultimate trust in me, I will always be your stability. And even if that person is removed from your life for one reason or another, you can still be stable, secure, sure, and strong in me. In the year that King Uzziah died. By the way, Uzziah's name means my strength is God. Even the king's name was reminding the people of God in Judah, let's not find our ultimate strength in someone else or something else. Let's find our strength in God. And so on the day that the king died, Isaiah saw the king, the king. And he saw him seated on a high elevated throne. The word seated reminds us that God is always there, that he remains there, that he dwells there, that he's always on his throne, that he's always been on his throne, is on his throne, and will ever be on his throne. He is the constant in the universe. The fact that his throne is high and elevated speaks of his greatness as he rules over the universe that he created. It is a throne of dignity, of power, and of honor. And by the way, when Isaiah says, I saw the sovereign master, it is the word Adonai. It means the absolute ruler of the universe. And when King Uzziah died, Isaiah was looking to the true king. Who are we looking to each and every day of our lives to find our strength, our stability, our security, our surety, and our settlements? Is it the sovereign master of the universe? Because if we're looking ultimately to anyone else and anything else, then our world will be rocked if that ever changes. And God is saying, find your foundation in me in me. And that's what Isaiah was seeing. The Lord, high and lifted up. Notice also in verse 1, Isaiah is there and he's seeing this vision of God and he says, the hem. How big is a hem? Not that big, right? He says, the hem of his robe filled the temple. The person of God dominates this scene. How big is God if the hem of his robe fills the temple? Can you imagine Isaiah coming out of this vision and someone said, you, you, you saw God? Well, not really. I saw the hem of his robe. 
What did he look like? I don't, I don't really know because the hem of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is basically saying our God is so big, so grand, that even the hem of his robe fills the heavenly temple. That's a big God. That's a God that's big enough to handle all of our issues and problems and challenges and all of that. That's a God big enough to ground us. That's a God big enough to, to put our lives in his hands and know that he's very capable to, to, to have us and to take care of us. That's a big God. And then Isaiah said, I saw these angelic beings that are called seraphs. The word literally means burning ones. And they're a reminder to us about the creativity of God. How God not only made us so unique, but how he made even in the angelic order angels to, to look and, and be different from other angelic beings and for all of them to have their own look, if you will, and their own function and their own purpose, just as he did for us as human beings. And these creatures have six wings. And they're literally there surrounding the throne of God as his attendant ministering servants. They're just there at God's disposal. They are, they are there at all times making themselves available. And they're literally like burning can only imagine what that looks like. And they're displaying such a, a reverence and respect for God. They don't even look at him directly. They, they cover their faces with their wings and, and with their feet, and they're flying around the throne of God, burning. And they're calling out, Isaiah says. He's, I heard them. And they're calling out continually, holy Holy, holy is the Lord who commands armies. We've talked about that word. It means that God, our God, is wholly other. There is no one or nothing else like him. There is no one like God. No one can even come close to him. No one can even compare to him. And they can't stop saying it. Because in his presence, they're just overcome and overwhelmed by the person of God. And they've been there ever since they were created, in his presence. And yet they never tire of calling out how holy God is. Isaiah calls God not only the sovereign master, but the Lord who commands armies, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who has all of the universe that he created at his disposal at all times. He's not only got the heavenly armies at his disposal and any earthly armies or nations that he wants to use at his disposal. He has everything from the smallest nanoparticle that's been discovered by man all the way up to the largest star he ever created in the atmosphere of the universe. He's the Lord of hosts. And the other thing Isaiah was struck by was 
the thunderous voice or voices of these seraphs. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, the sound of their voices shook the very foundation of the heavenly temple. The door frames were moving back and forth to the voices of these seraphs. And the whole temple was filled with smoke. Smoke always accompanies the the glory, if you will, of God. It is something that is always attendant to him. Why smoke? Well, let me ask you a question this morning. If, If all of a sudden this room was filled with smoke, it would probably make you a little uneasy, wouldn't it? not being able to necessarily see very well. Or whatever. And, and it almost creates a sense of awe and wonder as well. That's the presence of God. That God's presence and person always will create in us when we are near him a sense of awe and wonder and mystery because of how great God is. So as Isaiah sees this glimpse into the throne room of God. Notice his response in verse 4. Too bad for me. Isaiah is struck with his sinfulness. He begins to see the closer he gets to God, the great contrast between him, a sinful human being, and the holiness and perfection and excellencies of God. Notice he doesn't say, oh, how finite I am, how frail I am, how mortal I am. No, what strikes him is his sinfulness. And by the way, this isn't the only time that that occurs in the Bible. If you recall the story in the New Testament where Jesus has been having some interaction with these fishermen, and he hasn't officially called them to follow him yet, and they haven't officially agreed to follow him yet, but they're hanging around with each other. And one day Jesus goes down to the lake and he asks Peter, Peter, can I borrow one of your fishing boats? I want to just remove it a little bit and take it out into the water and use it as sort of my platform to be able to teach the people on the shore. And Peter says, sure. After Jesus gets done, he goes over to Peter. He says, now, Peter, I want you to take these boats back out and I want you to go to this spot on the lake and I want you to Throw your net on that side of the boat. And Peter looks at him, the fisherman, and goes, Lord, we have fished all night and we've caught nothing. We're the fishermen. You're the son of a carpenter. But okay, okay, I'll do it. So you know the story. They go out. They do exactly what Jesus tells them to do. And they catch so many fish that the boats begin to sink under the weight of the fish that they catch. And do you remember what Peter's reaction is? His reaction is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. 
he realizes the one thing that when he is in the presence of God, it's his sinfulness that he's most struck with. Just like Isaiah. It's one of the things that you and I need to wrestle with, struggle with, and be able to overcome as we pursue God. Mike talked a little bit about this. Steve talked about this. Nicole talked about this. We should all want to get closer to God. But the byproduct of getting closer to God is that we become more aware of how sinful we are. And can I tell you that's one of the reasons why many Christians will only go so far with God because they don't like <laughs> to be so exposed. Now, here's the irony. God already knows anyway. He knows everything about us, including all of our failures and all of our sin, and still loves us. And yet somehow we reason in our minds, oh, I, boy, the closer I get to God, the more I'm aware of my sin, so I'm stopping because I don't want to be more exposed. And we have to get past that. We have to be like Isaiah and like Peter and learn to come as close to God as possible even if it shows up all of our warts and wrinkles and imperfections and all that stuff because guess what it's at that moment we realize maybe more than ever that God sees us in all that we are and he still loves me and that the only way I can really overcome these things and get past these things and, and gain victory over these things is not to remove myself and distance myself from God, but actually to get closer to God. And so I've got to be willing to press through and be totally exposed and not try to hide like Adam and Eve did by sewing the fig leaves on even though God already knew. By the way, when Isaiah says he's focused on his sin and, and he uses one thing to illustrate it, he, he uses his lips, right? So my lips are contaminated by sin and I live amongst the people whose lips are contaminated by sin. Why does he go there? Because the Bible teaches us that our speech is a window to our heart. And more than any other thing that shows how sinful and, and how we fall short of the perfection of God, it's our words. It's our mouth. It's what comes out of our mouth that more than any other thing shows how sinful we really are. And that's why Isaiah uses the lips as a way to illustrate his sinfulness. And then he says, though, 
but my eyes have seen the king. Though the earthly king has died, Uzziah, I know that the king of kings is still on his throne. And he is the Lord of hosts, the Lord who commands armies. But at this point in his engagement and interaction with God, he feels so hopeless. Here's this sovereign master, absolute ruler of the universe. Here's the holy one. Here's the Lord who commands armies. And he's so sinful compared to God that he sees there's no answer. It's why he says, I'm destroyed. It doesn't mean somehow that he's annihilated. The word means I'm at a loss. I'm brought to silence. I have no words. I have no answer. I have no answer, God, for the fact that you are holy and perfect and sinless, and I am so sinful. I have no answer to this. Ah, but look at verse 5, or verse 6. But one of the seraphs flew toward him. You know what that reminds us of? There are no hopeless situations with God. You might as well just put, but God. Notice, Isaiah doesn't even have an answer. And Isaiah's not even asking, God, can you do something? Because in his mind, this is way beyond being able to be figured out. There's no way that he could ever remain in God's presence, much less serve him in any capacity. And yet God takes the initiative. He doesn't, he doesn't wait for Isaiah. By the way, this isn't talking about Isaiah's salvation, so to speak. Isaiah already had a relationship with God. This is more about his cleansing and being made fit for serving God. But even in that, as Stephen talked about last week, Isaiah is realizing, I have no business even being in your presence. You have to make me fit even to be in your presence. And yet he's struggling with this at this point. This scene should remind us from Isaiah's life that no matter what you and I face, there are no hopeless situations with God. If we truly see God as the sovereign master, the holy one, the one who commands armies, the Lord of hosts, if we see him in all of his greatness and power and authority, then we also know that there are no hopeless situations with God. And the seraph is flying towards Isaiah. And Isaiah sees that in his hand he took this hot coal from off the altar with tongs and he's flying towards him. And Isaiah says, when the seraph got to me, he touched my mouth with the hot coal. And he said to Isaiah, listen, this coal has touched your lips, therefore 
your evil is removed and your sin is forgiven. What's the purpose? What's the point of this scene? It is to remind us that Isaiah was cleansed by direct divine intervention. He had nothing to do with it. He could not cleanse himself. He could not make himself fit to not only stand in God's presence, but to serve God in any capacity. But God could. God had an answer. God could make him fit. And he began to then be overcome and overwhelmed by a God that was not only so great that the hem of his robe filled the temple, but a God that was so loving and so good and so gracious that God would provide a way for a very sinful man like Isaiah to come into the very presence of this God. And not only to come into his presence, but to stay there if he wanted to. And to worship him. And yes, to serve him in some capacity. I think at this moment, you've and I've been there where there's been moments in our life where it feels like the, our chest, or our heart's beating out of our chest. I'm sure he could feel the thumping of his heart at this point as he stands there. By the way, I doubt if that hot coal felt too good on Isaiah's lips. It reminds us that sometimes in order for God to make us fit, we have to go through a little pain. But it's so worth it. Because what would be better, what would be greater than to be and to live in the very presence of this God? A God who knows our sinfulness and the extent of our sinfulness and yet still loves us and makes provision so that we can be in his presence. And not just for now, but for all of eternity. Then look at verse 8. It's after all this that Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the sovereign master. I don't want you to miss this. This is an important principle that is so true in our lives, just like it was in Isaiah's. And you can bracket, if you will, this passage with these two phrases. They sort of form a parenthesis around it all. In verse 1, Isaiah says, I saw the sovereign master. But it wasn't until verse 8 that he heard his voice. Why is that? Because God wants to fill our vision with him before he speaks to us. And many times the reason why we're not hearing from God is he wants to continue to fill our vision with him before he speaks to us because it's out of our vision of him that we will hear him and respond more correctly, more fittingly, more appropriately. We all at times struggle with I haven't heard from God. 
And my encouragement when we're in that place is just continue to fill your vision with God. At some point, he will speak. But he may want to just continue to fill you with his awe and wonder and greatness and mystery. We won't always have God all figured out and in a box because the hem of his robe even fills the temple. How big is God? How big is God? If you haven't or you're wanting to hear from God on a particular matter or issue in your life, I would encourage you, just continue to fill your vision with him. Let him continue to fill you up with who he is. And then when he does speak, it will have even a greater impact in your life, just as it did Isaiah. Because notice what Isaiah heard. He heard God say, this, this sovereign master, this Lord who commands armies, this holy one, who am I, am I going to send? Who will go on our behalf? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't at this point say, now Isaiah, I want you to go for me. No. It's an indirect invitation from God. Is there other people there besides Isaiah? I don't know. But God does not directly invite Isaiah to serve him at this point. Why? Not because God doesn't want Isaiah to serve. It's because God doesn't want us to serve him in any capacity if we don't really want to. He wants willing servants. Those who want to, not those who feel obligated. Those who are doing things out of duty. That's not how God wants us to serve him. So maybe there wasn't anybody there, but it's like, oh, wonder who I could get God say to, to do something for me. And Isaiah, at this point, after his vision is filled with this God, he has a breakthrough response. Can you see him? He's like, here I am. God, here I am. Ooh, ooh, pick me. You may not get that as you're reading your Bible, but that's exactly what Isaiah is doing. Because it's like, oh my goodness. This God who's, him fills the temple. This God who's the sovereign master, absolute ruler of the universe, the Holy One, the one who's the Lord of hosts, commander of all the armies and everything in the universe, he's giving me the opportunity to serve him in some capacity? The one who's made provision for me to stand in his presence and be in his presence and live in his presence? Why wouldn't I want to serve a God like that? I couldn't help 
You know how sometimes there, there's things that happened to you even long time ago that just are etched in your mind and you just, you'll never forget them? Even though you get older and you forget a lot of stuff, you don't forget certain things? Though this has been many years ago, I went to school with a boy named Wayne. I know his last name, but I'm not going to say it either. I, I went from second grade all the way through sixth grade with Wayne. And, and, and many times, because our names were sort of, you know, starting with the last letter, we, we sat very close to each other. And Wayne was one of those elementary school kids. When the teacher would ask, you know, who, who knows the answer to this question or this problem, whatever, Wayne was always the one that's like, ooh, ooh, pick me. I know it, I know it. That's Isaiah. Isaiah's saying, God, here I am. I want to go. Whatever you have for me, God, whatever it is, God, that, that I can do for you, it will be the absolute privilege and honor of my life to serve you, God. After I've seen who you are and what you've done for me. And then he ends, though, with two very important words. He says, send me. Oh, that's key. Because by using that, Isaiah is saying, I don't want to do anything, God, in service for you that you're not backing me that you're not enabling me, that you're not empowering me, that I'm not going in your authority and power, that I'm not uh, having your resources and all of that, that if you send me, then I know that you're with me, then there's nothing I won't do, but I'm not going to go out there on my own. So you send me, God, and I'm good. And that's the way all of us should serve. Find out, make yourself available, Say like Isaiah, Lord, I'm here. Whatever you have for me, God, will be a privilege and honor of my life. And when I know it's you that's calling me, when I know that it's you that's sending me, God, then I'm willing to do whatever it is because I know that whatever you call me to, you'll make me fit to do. And I'll use myself as a personal illustration of that. If I didn't know for sure that God was sending me up on this platform every Wednesday and Sunday, I would not step on this platform. The reason I stand here every Sunday and Wednesday is not because I feel fit or adequate. <laughs> it's because I know God sent me up here and so that he'll be with me. And man, there's nothing like knowing that. that you're not out there trying to serve him doing it on your own and doing your own thing. You know you have the divine backing of the sovereign master, holy one, Lord who commands armies of the universe. And if he's with you, there's nothing you can't do for him. How do we apply then this great passage to our lives today. Well, for one, 
to be reminded that life is ever-changing. People come and go out of our lives all the time. And if we live long enough, they also pass on. And they're not with us anymore. And though we can find some stability and security and strength in other people and in other relationships, ultimately, we must build our lives upon the Lord. He must be our ultimate stability, strength, and surety. Because just like Uzziah, at some point, either we'll be taken out of their life or they'll be taken out of ours. And when that happens, we can still be as stable and secure and sure as anything in the world because we've built our lives upon the foundation of our God. But the second thing we learn from this is that God wants to move all of us to a place where after our vision is filled with who he is, we are just as enthusiastic as Isaiah when he offers us the opportunity to serve him. And we say, here I am. I can't not make myself available to a God like you. You're bigger and greater and more magnificent than I could ever even imagine and you made provision for me to be able to live in your presence for all of eternity. How could I not live my life on this earth serving you in any way that you want me to serve you? So today, for those who are watching, for those of us here today, we have that opportunity. God is calling and he's saying, whom shall I send? Who will go on our behalf? Will you be willing to say, here I am, send me. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And as they're coming here on the platform, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? God, I would ask today, that you would give us vision to see with our very mortal eyes, Lord, who you are, to fill our vision with you, to allow the experience of your great prophet Isaiah to somehow impact our life in such a dramatic and profound and powerful way. And to put ourselves in this very scene. To see you, God, as the sovereign master of the universe. Seated on a high and elevated throne. Even the hem of your robe fills the temple. God, I pray today that every one of us, God, has been moved by you to a place where we will say, God, here I am. Use me, God. Send me. Let me be your servant. Let me lay down my life for you for the rest of my life every day. Whatever you have for me, God, 
It will be my greatest honor and privilege. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? As we sing, take my life and let it be. Maybe you just want to stay there today and say, God, right here in my seat, here I am. But maybe some of you would like to come here this morning to this platform and say, God, here I am. I want to make it public. I want to make a public commitment today, a public dedication today that here I am, God. Here I am. Let's sing, take my life and let it be.